The following show is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary, and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Welcome to Discovering Responsible Wealth's monthly coaching call. This is brought to you by the Institute of Responsible Wealth. This is your host, Frank Congelos, and our guest today is John Henry, President and CEO of OBS Financial Services. John Henry, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you with us this month. Good morning, Frank, and it's a pleasure to be here. So, John, the reason why I wanted to have our conversation this month about you know asset class returns and what the media is putting out there is the fact that people have recently gotten their investment statements for year end, and they're hearing on the media how the S and P five hundred last year did say thirteen percent, fourteen percent, and from time to time we always have what I refer to as a hot asset class, which is some asset class does well, and then when we look at our statements, you know whether I owned an investment with any investment company, I look and I might be disappointed and say, geez, I didn't get that return. So maybe you can just take a few moments and share a little light on you know, what your thoughts are and what it means when someone sees an asset class that was hot in a particular year, and yet it's not reflected totally in somebody's portfolio. Sure, Frank. That's a great question. And, you know, first of all, the media is out there and they, they want to they wanna sell papers, they want to sell whatever they're trying to sell. And you know, in this last year, you're, you're going to get your statement, and you're going to say, well, I had a diversified portfolio, and it underperformed uh, the S&P. Well, last year, the S&P obviously dominated by, you know, U.S. large cap, and U.S. large cap was the, uh, you know, the, the highest performing asset class last year. So I think we've got to take a deeper look at this, and the deeper look is you've got to have an investment philosophy. And an investment philosophy is not just one year. And when you have a diversified portfolio, you're going to have multiple asset classes in that. And next year it'll be a different asset class that's the number one performing. could be small cap, could be emerging markets. So we're looking over a period of time. We have a longer time horizon, and it's a diversified portfolio. So over periods of time, you're getting a risk-adjusted return. How much risk are you taking to get the return that you're getting? If you're in just one asset class, you're going to have a lot of concentration of risk. You're diversifying across asset classes. You're lowering your risk. So it's a much deeper picture than that, Frank. And and I think the most important thing is that the client has an investment philosophy, that they're diversified, and they have a longer time horizon than a hot asset class in one year. That's a great point. You know, what's interesting is, you know, when we talk to people and, you know, if you would have the media really sharing and people relied on that, you would think that whatever the current asset class that performed the best would be the next one for the following year. And, you know, it's interesting. When I look at historical, you know, performance, I see here over the last 20 years, the S&P 500 has only been the top asset class perhaps five out of 20 years or 25% at a time. And as in another example that's interesting is emerging markets was a top asset class, say, eight times. But when you look at the amount of volatility that may have followed with some of those different asset classes, it really gives perspective on why asset allocation is the key. And I know, John Henry, in what you do with, over there at OBS and how you work with DFA, one of the biggest things that you're always talking about is the significance of asset allocation and also, you know, the term efficient frontier investing. Maybe you could shed a little light on that for our listeners. Yeah, 
Thanks, Frank. Um, you know, as I said earlier, <clears throat> asset allocation and building a diverse, diversified portfolio is key. You know, we're not going to know in 2015. I'm not. I don't know what the top asset class is going to be. Um, and like you said, very rarely is the asset class, the top asset class from 2014, going to repeat in 2015. So the goal in asset allocation is to build a portfolio that I like to say is representative of global capitalism. So you have exposure to domestic uh, U.S. small cap stocks, domestic U.S. large cap and mid cap stocks, international stocks, emerging markets. So you have you have basically built a portfolio that represents global capitalism. So wherever you're the, the top asset class will be in 2015, you're going to have uh, you're going to have exposure to it. Now, you mentioned the term the efficient frontier. What the efficient frontier is, is for each incremental degree of risk that you take in a portfolio, you can expect a relatively same return. That's the efficiency of building a very solid portfolio on asset allocation and not providing overexposure to one asset class over another asset class. Again, it goes back to building an investment philosophy, a time horizon, and diversification and managing risk for the end client. Very good. Also, John, one of the things I noticed that you speak about, you have a lot in your brochures, we share them with our clients and you know, our communication, is you look at investing of three different forms. It's almost like three flavors of ice cream, you know, chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, and you come down to active, passive, and structured Maybe you could take a little time and elaborate on what that means when an investor has a choice on how they'd like their money to be invested, whether it's active, passive, or structured. My favorite thing to talk about, and uh, let, let me give a flavor on each one of these, because there, ultimately there are really three philosophies investing. Now, there's a lot of different shades underneath each one of these, but let's talk about them. Traditionally, you think of Wall Street, you think of the active manager. Ultimately, an active manager is saying, I want to achieve alpha. What alpha means is I'm going to outperform the market with the market head. The active manager uses, could use be a you know, quant person, could be doing research, you know, looking at different analytics, and they're going to pick a stock and they're going to say, I'm going to pick that stock because I believe it's underpriced and it's going to go up in value, or I believe it's overpriced and so I'm going to short that stock and I'm going to attain alpha. Now, the problem with that the active managers have is it costs a lot of money to go out and do all that research and do all of those analyticals. And if you buy an actively managed mutual fund, it might have an expense ratio of, say, 100 basis points in it. The other problem that active managers have, they're very smart people, but the nature of it is you're trading. You're doing a lot of trading. Because by active, you're buying and selling stocks. There's cost to that. We refer to that as trade friction. And I'll share with everybody that a manager that turns over a portfolio by about 100% will generate 33 basis points on average in trade friction cost. So if you think about this, if it costs 100 basis points to run the fund and you've got another 33 basis points that you don't even see in trade costs, 130 basis points. Now you've got to beat the market and overcome, you know, 1.3%. That's very, very difficult, and that's why most active managers 
you know, don't beat the market. Not that they're not very smart people. It's kind of like running the 100-meter dash starting 10 meters behind everybody else. So over the years, investment philosophy has developed called passive. The nature of passive investments is let's lower our costs. Let's let the market define our returns. So funds like index funds were created, S&P 500 funds, Russell 2000, and they let the index establish uh, their returns. So if you think about it, if you're, you're going to basically capture the market minus your expenses, you're never going to necessarily beat the market, but you're going to capture the market minus your expense ratio. It's the nature of what we call passive investing. And it was improvement in many ways um, because of the lower expenses. The third thing is, as, as investing has evolved is to say a structured investing approach. Let's, rather than use indexes, let's create mutual funds that are pure asset classes. In other words, here's our U.S. Uh, large cap uh, asset class, here's our small cap asset class, and let's let that whole market cap of those asset classes, let's put those together just like the indexers did, but let's put it together, but let's overlay something that we call structured investing. And I like to say this, that there are kind of known knowns out there, and it's the science of investing. For instance, we call these factors. And so unlike the passive, there's certain things we can do to the portfolio, like we can tilt it towards small cap and we can tilt it towards value because the markets historically give us a price factor. In other words, you know, value stocks or cheaper stocks outperform over historical periods of time, uh, you know, growth stocks, and smaller stocks over historical periods of time outperform large stocks. So we do things like structure the portfolio in such a way over historical periods of time we can capture a premium. So it's you're going to capture the market and get the premium from it. That's structured investing. Different than passive because we're structuring the portfolio to, to find that premium return. So those are the three types of investing that exist out there. We believe strongly in the structure. It's the science of investing, Frank. That's a great you know, insight as it relates to that. You know, one of the things that we have people look at from time to time is, you know, how often should they be looking at their performance and how do they know if they're doing well or not? Um, meaning, you know, should they look every year and what are they comparing to so that they know is their portfolio performing or underperforming based upon what we've been saying, which is, you know, you can't base your portfolio on just one asset class in one year. You have to diversify. You're going to use different asset classes to do it. How does someone know, you know, if they're doing well or not? We, that's a great question, Frank. You know, what I'd like to do is step back from it for a second. I think, first of all, I think it's very, very important that a client or an individual out there is working with an advisor. And first of all, they determine what their objectives are, with what, why they're investing this money, where they're trying to get out of it. And the second one is they define their risk. There's two, no two investors are the same out there. So I'd like to say that's a planning-centric type of form of investing. So based on that, the answer is going to be different for everybody. If I'm somebody that's very young and I have a long time horizon, I might be taking a lot more risk, and I might be much more weighted towards equities, and I might expect a higher return. If I'm somebody that is, you know, say, 65 years old, 
and I'm coming towards the end of my retirement, I don't want to not take that much risk. So I, I think return, again, is relative to the risk that the client's going to take. And I think setting objectives and revisiting the objectives that you want and understanding the risk that you want, you sit down with your advisor. Last year, the S&P may have performed X, and you may have been under that, but you achieved your objectives relative to the risk that you wanted to take. And that's at the individual client level. That's a great insight. You know, one of the conversations that we often have with clients is when we're actually walking them through how their portfolio may do in an up market as well as in the down market. And in an up market, you know, it's funny. Everybody is, you know, more risky or says they can be because it's going up. It's when it's going down that we really have the concern because it's will you buy and sell at the wrong times and try to time the market, which is the fear that we have for clients and why we do these coaching calls and we coach them. So, you know, I know that you're familiar with Dalbar and the whole theory on emotional investing. Maybe you could just take a moment and touch on that. Sure. You know, you know uh, I'll tell you a funny anecdotal thing, and, and this kind of relates to the media and, you know, people reacting. And you'll hear on the radio all the time these ads that say, you know, hey, we were out of the market before 2008, and et cetera, et cetera. And, well, they might have been, but they never got back in the market and, and, and you know, missed the greatest run-up in the market in history. So my answer to you is, is if you let the emotions um, control you, you might guess right once, but you never guess right twice. So, again, you know, it goes back to having an investment philosophy, um, versus allowing the emotions to control you. And, it, and it's difficult at times, and that's another reason you need a, a really good advisor to take you through those, you know, those moments because the Dalbar study in that will show you that, hey, the market returned you know, over X period of time, 10%, but the average investor had 2 or 3% return because they didn't stay the course. They didn't follow their investment philosophy. So it goes back to those fundamentals of investment philosophy diversification, asset allocation, and stay in the course on those things. And the largest uh, growing thing in, in finance these days is behavioral finance, you know, and why we do the things that we do and, you know, and react to markets. So, you know, my message is uh, if you can stay to your investment philosophy um, out there. And one of the things, Frank, I don't know if you've seen the media, they're starting to talk about something called uh, uh, advisor alpha meaning that you've got a good advisor and your advisor kind of guided you through, you know, the ups and downs. And because you stayed in the market, you had a better return than the average consumer uh, in the Delbar study. That had nothing to do with an investment growth. That had to just go with a good ombudsman of an advisor that you were working with. So I, I find it pretty interesting. So It's a great perspective. We always, when we're coaching clients, we always explain to them that's the biggest expense in their portfolio could be themselves and their emotions driving them through either fear or greed, which is why we wanted to have this call this time of year, which is to say, let's not get greedy and chase things that don't reoccur because markets are random. And on the same thing is the key to asset allocation is to make sure that we're diversified enough so that we can handle our portfolios in a down market. I'm not taking more risk than I can af really afford to take so that I'm going to be buying and selling at the wrong time. So that's, that's our exactly right, Frank. 
John Henry, thank you so much for being with us today. For all of our listeners, you've been listening to Discovering Responsible Wealth. This has been our coaching call, and this is Frank Congelos. We wish everybody a great February. John Henry, thank you so much again for being with us. And this has been brought to you by the Institute of Responsible Wealth. Everybody have a great month. Advisors of the Institute of Responsible Wealth may be licensed for investment and insurance products. The Institute of Responsible Wealth is an educational division of CNA Financial Group. CNA Financial Group and its advisors are an agency or an agent of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect, wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. The Institute of Responsible Wealth and CNA Financial Group are not affiliates or subsidiaries of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian.